I'm so glad you're here this morning, and uh, Matthew mentioned that he loves the fresh-cut grass in the spring. My allergies do not, and so over the past 24 hours, it has hit me like a Mack truck, and I'm trying to work my way through that. So somebody asked me this morning, have you lost your voice? I was like, not yet, but that may happen. And so um, for those of you that pressed through whatever it is that's going on in your life to get here, uh, we're grateful that you're here this morning. Uh, And we're going to continue worshiping through the reading of God's Word together. And on the screens throughout the room, you're going to see that we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 as we continue in our sermon series through Mark's Gospel. And as you're turning there, I want to share with you that when I was in seminary, uh, I was pursuing my master's degree for vocational ministry in New Orleans. Um, and so, as is often the case, you know, after long days in school and class, uh, we would go to lunch or we would go to dinner. And I can remember we huddled up uh, around a meal table in the, in the French Quarter to eat a meal together. And I prayed over the meal. I said, let me, let me, let me, let me pray for us. And I prayed. And uh, one of my classmates said, hey, man, do you mind if I ask you why you prayed? And I said, sure, like, uh, just, you know, return thanks. He goes, no, seriously, man, that that food doesn't need our thanks, and that food doesn't need um, our gratitude. And I'm like, right, I don't think the food cares as much as the importance of why we pray. And we actually began talking around the table about why we pray and the importance of prayer. And I don't know how many times you pray for a meal or if you pray with a family or with a niece or a nephew before you break bread together. But have you ever wondered why we pray, why we invoke the name of God in that moment, whether it is when we are together breaking bread or somewhere in the community by yourself or with your Bible reading group in just a few moments after our services have concluded, one of the things that God has told us to do when we break bread and when we share meals together is for us to proclaim the goodness of God and to extend our gratitude to him for what he's done. One of the reasons we return thanks and one of the reasons we pray over meals is to acknowledge God's goodness of provision, not only the meal in front of us, but to acknowledge the goodness of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And God has told us that when we gather together, we should acknowledge those things. And Jesus, in the final moments of his life, shared a meaningful meal, a feast with his disciples, where he told them, as often as you do this, You should remember God's goodness to you and how he has manifested himself in your life. And I want you to see from Scripture God's call for us as a people to be thankful, to be grateful, and to remember God's goodness to us. I want you to have a sneak peek at this meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word this morning as we read about this important meal that Jesus had with his disciples and what it might mean for us today. Be reading in Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. It says, On the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover so that you may eat it? So he sent two of his disciples and he told them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, tell the owner of that house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. So the disciples went out, they entered the city, and they found it just as Jesus had told them. 
and they prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. And while they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be distressed and to say to him one by one, Surely not I. And Jesus said to them, It is one of the twelve, the one who is dipping bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had never been born. As they were eating, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And he said, take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And Jesus said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. And after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you call us and invite us to remember how good you have been to us. I pray that in the reading of your word and the application of it to our lives, we would be a people who are grateful, a people who remember, and not only when we eat meals together, but in every day of our life to return thanks to you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I don't know how familiar you are with the Passover meal itself, but the Passover meal is incredibly important in Jewish culture, and it has its roots roughly 1,300 years prior to what we're seeing and reading in the first century from Jesus' encounter with the disciples in Jerusalem. You may remember that at one time God's people were captives. They were enslaved in the land of Egypt. And they longed to be liberated. They longed to be set free. And one of the things that we have seen throughout Mark's gospel and throughout the full complement of Scripture is that God is always working to liberate his people. God is always working to rescue his people. God is always working to bring freedom to the captives. So the people in Egypt have been longing for freedom, and so one of the things God told them is, I've heard your cries for help. I have seen your suffering, your enslavement, and the mistreatment of the Egyptians against you, and I'm going to set you free. So the Lord brought that about through a series of ten plagues upon Egypt. And at each one of these plagues, it was intended to, to force the hand of the Egyptian king to let them go. And Each time it happened, it was difficult, it was severe, but the Egyptian king did not let them go. And so finally, the Lord instituted a final tenth plague. And the Lord told his people, I will will pass through Egypt this evening. I will pass through Egypt. And when I do, I will execute my judgment upon the false gods of Egypt. And they will know that I'm the one true God. But the Bible tells us that all of us are broken. All of us are sinful by nature and by choice. And as a righteous and holy God passed over Egypt, his holiness, as he passed through, would not only give him permission to judge and execute his judgment upon the Egyptians, but also upon his people. 
So what God told his people to do was he said, you're to go find a lamb, an unblemished lamb, a spotless lamb. And what I want you to do is I want you to sacrifice that lamb. I want you to to share a meal together and and to cook that lamb together. And there there were many elements of this Passover meal that they shared together. Uh, They consumed bitter herbs that reminded them of the bitterness of of being captives and, and enslaved. Uh, they would share unleavened bread, like the Lord told them to make bread and to eat it at this meal. But, but he said, you're going to be in a hurry because once I pass through Egypt and, and force Pharaoh's hand, he's going to let you go. And you need to be packed and ready to go. So they didn't even bake the bread in a way where it would rise. It was called unleavened bread. And there were many elements to this meal. And what they were doing was they were obeying the instruction of God. And I don't always understand the ways of God. And you may feel the same way. Why did Jesus or why does God ask us to do very specific things that don't make a lot of sense to us? Well, let me just encourage you that what God invites us to do is to trust and obey him, even when it doesn't make sense to us. Our God is infinite, and we are finite creatures. We may not always understand his ways, and he doesn't always think and do like we would do. But he told them to share this meal, and he told them to take the blood of this sacrificed lamb. This was a key part of the Passover meal. He said, I want you to take the blood of that sacrificed lamb, and I want you to put the blood on the doorpost of your homes. I want you to take some, some, some strands of, of wheat or hyssop and this, this brush, if you will, this rudimentary brush, and dip it in the blood of the lamb. And I want you to paint the doorpost of your home and the sides of your home. And what God told them is, when I pass through Egypt, if I see the blood on the doorpost of your home, I will know that that animal, that unblemished, spotless lamb, died in the place of what you should have to pay for when a holy and a righteous God comes through this land. And I will look upon that distinguishing mark on that doorpost, and I will pass over your home, and no plague will come to you, no sickness will come to you, but any home that does not have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, well, I will pass my judgment on that home. It may seem strange and weird to you, but this is all in the book of Exodus, and this literally happened, and the people did this, and God came through Egypt, and he passed over these homes. Because the distinguishing mark of blood covered the doors of these families and their lives. So God told them, I'll set you free through this. And sure enough, when this happened, and all of God's people were spared from judgment because the blood of the lamb covered the doorposts of their homes, and the Egyptian people were punished because they had not done this. Pharaoh was so angry and so mad, he let the people go and they fled. And the book of Exodus tells us about their exodus out of Egypt through the wilderness on the way to a promised land. And God told his people, you're to remember forever how I liberated you from slavery. Every generation, every year, you're to have the Passover meal. And when you sit down for the Passover meal, in the decades and the centuries ahead, you are to proclaim and remember how good God was to you to set you free from harsh and oppressive captivity. He told them to remember. And so the Passover meal It was a very symbolic meal that they would gather for, that Jewish people would gather for annually to remember. Do you remember when God set our ancestors, the other generations that have come before us? He liberated them. So God told them to remember, and that's why they would share the Passover. I don't think we're really good at remembering things as humans. I really don't think we're really good at remembering, and so the Lord tells us to remember One of the reasons I keep a journal is so that I can go back and look at my notes of how God answered a prayer or 
how he was at work in my life, and I, I longed for him to do something, and it didn't happen on my timetable, but I keep reading a little bit more of my journal as I look back, and six weeks later, six months later, I, I'm able to remember how God was faithful, and even sometimes he doesn't answer the prayer I asked and praise God for it. He doesn't give me what I want, he gives me what I need. Uh, if you journal or if you document or if you share with your life group or your Bible reading group what God's doing in your life, that is a way for you and I to remember how good God has been to us. So God told them, you're to share this Passover meal so you can remember that the sacrificial lamb died in your place so that God would pass over and that he would set you free from captivity and lead you towards the promised land. And it was at that time of year in the first century when Jesus and the 12 disciples were making their way to Jerusalem. Jesus spent most of his life not only in Nazareth, but in the area of the Galilee. And it was only a few times a year when he would make the nearly 90-mile trek from Galilee into Jerusalem for festivals. And I don't know if you remember, Jesus traveled with his parents into the city or into Jerusalem. This is another occasion where they were expected as Jewish pilgrims to observe the Passover meal in the city of Jerusalem. And there they are. And we just read that a moment ago. They arrived, and it is time for the celebration and the remembrance of God's faithfulness to them through the Passover lamb. So the disciples started to wonder, well, where are we going to observe this? None of us live in this city. We're not sure where we're going to enjoy this meal together. And Jesus tells them. He sends disciples into town. And he gives them very specific clues. You'll find someone carrying a jar of water. And that man will then lead you to a home. And you're to ask the owner of the home, is everything prepared? Jesus not only maybe knew this individual and this home owner, but it also shows us, Mark is letting us know about the omniscience of Jesus, that he's all-knowing and his supernatural knowledge. And sure enough, the disciples go into town and they find a, a house. And the owner has offered it so that they can share this Passover meal together. The Bible tells us that it was an upstairs room where they were going to break bread together and remember God's faithfulness to liberate them from enslavement. The Bible says it was upstairs, and that's right there in verse 15. He will show you a large upstairs room. This is what we refer to as the upper room. It's where Jesus and his disciples would have shared this meal. It's after Jesus' death and his crucifixion. The disciples were scared. They were nervous. They would run and huddle up in a locked room. This is that same room. This would become home base for the disciples for several days. And this is where they would have the Passover meal, which was symbolic. It reminded them of God's liberation to them from slavery through the death and the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. And so that's what these disciples are gathered together to do. And, and while they're seated there, verse 17, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. And while they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, one of you here will betray me. That's a pretty shocking accusation. It's a pretty bold thing to say among a group of 12 that you love and care about. And Jesus lets them know, I'm, I'm aware one of you is going to betray me. And one of the things that the disciples did is in verse 19, they began to be distressed. Like, it's not me, is it? Like, it's not me, is it? Like, never mind the fact that nobody's concerned Jesus is about to be betrayed. Their concern is, oh, just don't let it be me. Please tell me it's him and not me. It's fascinating, some of the questions they voice. And, and we often think these were the original disciples. They had it all together. Like, they didn't. God helping them. They were just putting one foot in front of the other, following Jesus. It's what we're doing as disciples of Christ. They're at this meal together, and Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. In verse 20, he says, it's the one who dips the bread in the bowl with me. For the Son of Man will go, just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays me. 
Now, Jesus' suffering and his sacrificial death on our behalf was necessary for him to bring about forgiveness of sin, for him to bring about liberation of us as spiritual slaves and captives. It, it was, but, but Judas, that's the disciple, if you did not know, that's the disciple who betrayed Jesus. Judas was a willing participant of his own volition and will. He, he made the choice to betray Jesus. And one of the things that I love about this text is it reminds us that God knows everything that's going to happen, but he still gives us the ability to to make the decisions and the choices in our life, whether we will follow him, whether we will not, whether we will be obedient, whether we will be disobedient, whether we will be faithful to him or whether we will betray him by pursuing false gods and things that cannot satisfy us in the way that only Jesus can. That's what's happening at this meal together with them. This was shortly before Jesus literally was betrayed and was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And and therefore began to make his way to the cross. That's what's happening here. And in verse 22, as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. He took the unleavened bread that was part of the Passover meal. And he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, you should take this for this is my body. You should take this bread for this is my body. Uh, that was most likely an unusual thing for him to say to these disciples. And what I mean by that is when they heard him say, you should take this bread. You've known that this bread is part of the Passover meal, which reminds you of what God did for you centuries ago. But now I'm telling you, take this bread and I'm going to give it a new meaning for you. This bread is going to become symbolic of my body, which will be broken for you. In just a few matter of hours, Jesus would be arrested. He would be falsely tried and accused and he would be beaten, mistreated, and led to his death on the cross. And the prophet Isaiah tells us that while Jesus was on the cross, it was there that he, he took our sickness and our infirmity and, and our brokenness. The Bible tells us, yet Jesus himself, he bore our sickness and he carried our pains. But we in turn regarded him as stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But Jesus was pierced because of our rebellion he was crushed because of our iniquity, and the punishment for our peace was upon him. And we are healed by his wounds. We've all gone astray like sheep, and we've all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. Listen, it is a beautiful world, but it is a broken world. And I mentioned that every single human is sinful. It's not meant to be offensive, but it's a reality of living in a world that bears the curse of sin. And the wages or the payday, the, the consequences of that is spiritual and physical death. And the Bible tells us that on the cross, Jesus, the breaking of his body, what he did is he took our sickness, he took our infirmity, he took our brokenness into himself. Jesus Christ never sinned. On the cross, he didn't sin, but he became sin by taking all the sin, past, present, and future, onto himself, onto those broad shoulders on the cross. And through the breaking of his body, he's able to take that and then offer us his wholeness, his perfection. And we, we pray that for one another, right? I mean, like right now, i got this sinus allergy thing going on. Lord Jesus, please fix whatever this is and help me to just get back to feeling normal again. How many of us have loved ones and they're battling cancer or they're battling illness or an undiagnosed symptomatic thing that's driving them crazy? And we're like, Jesus, please provide healing. And we pray for it to happen immediately. But we know for those that follow Jesus through their faith in him, if not in this lifetime, in the next, he is able to make us whole and to make us well. 
And that is why there's no sickness, there's no mourning, there's no pain, there's no crying. There's no baggage emotionally, physically, spiritually in heaven because on the cross, the breaking of Jesus' body then offers us that in exchange for our brokenness, his perfection. That's what Jesus was saying at the meal. And this was not the first time Jesus had intimated that the bread represented the life he was going to give us. In John chapter 6, John's gospel records that Jesus was, he was teaching and he was talking with his disciples and he told them, I'm the bread of life. If you eat of any other bread, any other source in this life, you're going to be hungry again. But if you eat of me, if you believe in me, if you choose to follow me, you'll never go hungry again. That's what Jesus is telling these disciples. That's what he's telling you. That's what he's telling me. You'll never find wholeness in anything in this world in the way that I can give it to you. But then after offering them that bread, he offered them a cup. And one of the things that was important about the Jewish Passover meal was that there were several cups of wine, symbolic cups. There was a first cup that was, that was drunk by the, the people participating in the meal and passed around. There was a second cup and a third cup and, and a fourth cup. And each of these cups represented something. One of the cups represented the hope that we have, the hope that God's people could have because of what God had done for them through that sacrificial lamb, liberating them from Egypt. And many scholars and biblical writers believe, teachers, they believe that this cup that Jesus offered, it says here, Jesus took the cup in verse 23, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank from it. They believed this was that cup within the meal that, that was known to the disciples as a cup of liberation. And Jesus says, this is the cup of rescue. This is the cup of liberation. This is the cup of freedom, and it's my blood. I offer you this cup. It's symbolic of my blood. And one of the questions I had in seminary was like, what is Jesus saying? Is he saying that like the bread in that room literally became his flesh, and the blood literally became his blood? And that's not what Jesus is implying. That's not what he's saying. And when we observe the Lord's Supper or communion together, that's what he's instituting here. From this Passover meal to the Lord's Supper, the, the bread is not literally the body of Jesus. And the cup is not literally the blood of Jesus. But what Jesus was doing was giving them symbols and vivid tactile reminders that I'm going to lay down my life in exchange for you through the breaking of my body and through the shedding of my blood. And this cup is symbolic. The shedding of my blood is symbolic of liberation for you, of redemption for you. And the Bible tells us there's no forgiveness of sin. There's no true redemption possible without the shedding of blood. And God invited his son Jesus, and Jesus obeyed, thankfully, to lay down his life and shed his blood to forgive us of our sins. And the reason that's so important is because we are broken and we are flawed, and Jesus shed his pure, perfect blood as an offering, what Jesus is saying is, I'm God's sacrificial lamb. I'm God's sacrificial lamb. I'm going to shed my blood. And he did that on the cross. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, the, the blood flowed from his hands. And the blood flowed from his feet where they nailed him to the cross and from the crown of thorns. And as that, as that blood flowed freely, his pure, perfect blood is offered to us. His death in exchange for ours so that when we place our faith in him, what God does is he takes that perfect sacrifice of Jesus and he applies it to our life. So for those of us that are Jesus' disciples, because we've placed our faith in him, it doesn't mean we're any better than the next person. It doesn't mean we have it all figured out. It means we know who does. And we've asked God to make us whole and to provide that forgiveness to us, do-over, second chances through the blood of Jesus. 
And so in similar way, the, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, when they would put blood on the doorpost of their home, it was a distinguishing mark for God that he would know these are my people. They trust me. They obey me. They've placed their faith in me. And for those of us who have placed our faith in the finished work of Jesus, he is God. And without his death and without his shedding of blood, I cannot be made whole. I'm jacked up. I'm flawed. I need somebody to save me. And because of his perfect blood, he can cover me with his righteousness, and he can offer me second chances. He can offer you do-overs. He can offer you new life. And by placing our faith in Jesus, what God has done is he's taken the blood of his Passover lamb, Jesus, and he's painted it across the doorpost of our heart. He's taken the blood of Jesus on the cross at Calvary, and through our faith in him, he's taken that blood. And you can't see this. You can't see inside my flesh. But he's taken the blood of his sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, and he's covered the doorposts of our heart. So that when God looks at us, he sees the reputation of Jesus that he's given us. He sees our new life in Christ, and he says, you belong to me. And that's what Jesus is communicating to them here. That sin leads to death, and that we are all broken and flawed people. But as the sacrificial lamb of God, I'm offering you something that religion and ritual and tradition cannot do for you. This is a once and for all sacrifice, and I encourage you to invite me into your life. I stand at the door and knock, Jesus says in the book of Revelation. I stand at the door of your heart and knock, and if you will respond and believe in me and place your faith in me, I will cover the doorpost of your heart so that you can know me and you can know my Father and you can have life eternal. That's what Jesus is offering to these disciples. Now, this is in Mark's gospel, but in Luke 9, 22, Jesus said, every time you share this meal, you should remember that I'm God's sacrificial lamb for you. Every time you break bread together and every time you drink of the cup together, you should remember what my father has done for you through my death on the cross at Calvary for you. You know, I mentioned earlier, we're not really good at remembering things. We often forget the goodness and the faithfulness of God until like there's that next time we really need him and we beg him and we plead with him and it reminds us of how he has been faithful to us over and over and over again. That's why Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He took the Passover meal and he transformed it into something that was even more meaningful and more significant. The Lord's Supper, communion. And he tells us to proclaim what he has done for us in that moment. And that's what we're going to do together in this room this morning. We want to put into practice what Jesus has commanded us to do, and we're going to get an opportunity to do that in just a few moments.